Wow. Listen, if you at any point lose your awe of who God is and what he's doing in your life, if just at any point it just feels dry to you, just invite him back in. And one of the wonderful access tickets is worship. Just, just, just spend time in worship. Stop what you're doing and just worship. It's an access point. He gives it to us. It's a tool. It's a weapon against the enemy. Worship is a weapon against darkness. It's a weapon against the devil. It's a weapon. Use it. Today's message is about a weapon that we can use against the devil. And it's a weapon we need to use. We need to be familiar with it and be able to use it. But it's also about how the gospel moves. It's a movement. My wife and I were driving back from Florida, and we're listening to this message uh, from this pastor that I love, and we're just, just paying attention to it. And he starts to talk about the difference between an institution and a movement. And an institution, you know, it's, it's top-down, and it has rules and regulations, and, and uh, everybody's got a job, and, and you follow all these things, and that's how it moves forward. But a movement is like grassroots. A movement is something that, 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 that it does exactly that. It was here, and you feel it sweeping. The Holy Spirit sweeps through here. You must have felt it on Easter. You had to have felt the Holy Spirit electrify this place on Easter. I hope that you did. We're in awe of him. We want to see him move. We want to have a movement of God. It's, it's one thing to be an institution. You get together, you, you work at something, you know, you, people get paid, you get paychecks, you, know, you show up, and then you get the weekend off. This is a movement. You're coming in here to be moved, to be awed by God. Not awed by any person. It's not top-down. No, it is. It's top-down. But that's all. We want to access the King of Kings and be moved by him. You're not going to get this in the same way online. It's a wonderful ticket. It's a wonderful way to access this when you can't. But COVID's just about done. We need to be here. Be where the body is. Fellowship. I love what happened. We came back here to, to pray before we started, and Dave White grabbed Ed Allman's hand, and it went like electricity, so that he shook his hand off like, ow, why? And, it, and there was like that much electricity. I was like, that is what we want. You go to hold hands and pray, and then, ow, ow. No, 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 grab it, grab it. That's good, that's good, that's good. <laughs> you know, we want the fellowship, the electricity, the spiritual serotonin. We need it. And we get it by rubbing shoulders, by praying together, by worshiping together, by seeking out God together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Notice the pronoun, our. How do we pray God? Like this, together. Be together. This scripture is awesome. It's one of my favorites. But before, just, just like every time that you get into God's presence, it's super wise to just go in on your knees and come out the same way. You know, if you're not literally getting on your knees because you're like 52 like me and that actually hurts, if I don't have something soft to do that on and this carpet is not soft enough, then he knows I'm bowing in my heart. Other times, I'm literally, you know, on a good carpet, I'm on my knees. And uh, in a desperate situation, it doesn't matter what's happening. It could be a rock ledge. I'm on my knees. And actually, on a rock ledge, I would be on my knees. But let's, 
Let's just pray going into the presence of God and then pray as we come back out. We, we have access to the Holy of Holies. Do you understand that? Like when Jesus died on the cross and from the top to the bottom, the curtain rips in half, like God took it like paper, just went whoosh, but it had been blocked for thousands of years. It's blocked, that whoosh, it just rips it in half from top to bottom. Obviously, God did it. Now you got Pharisees in there trying to sew the thing up. But, but it was ripped from top to bottom. And the reason that it was ripped like that wasn't for you to see in. Oh, wow, now we can all go to the Holy of Holies. That's so awesome. Let's all travel to Jerusalem. We can go into the Holy of Holies where only one priest could go one time a year and put blood on the mercy seat. Now we can all go in. Big party. Only so many can fit in there, people. It wasn't so we could get in. It was so the Holy Spirit could blow out. Do you understand? It's so the Holy Spirit could blow all over the whole four corners of the earth. Boom! Everywhere. So we could access him here and anywhere. That was the reason the Holy of Holies ripped like that. That's the reason. What Jesus intended to do on the cross, he did. God broke it open and said, now go. That's what we're experiencing now. So let's pray first. Let's pray. Let's go into the Holy of Holies, which is this, us being together, God living in his people, in the church. We're the temple. We are. Let's pray as we go into his presence. Lord Jesus, we love you. Actually, I'm physically going to get on my knees. God, help us not to hurt. Father, we love you so much. You are everything. This is a movement. What you're doing is a movement. Lord, it's what you did with me and my wife and our family. You actually moved us 1,600 miles. It was a movement of the gospel. What you're looking to do is move us, move our hearts, move us from where we are spiritually to a higher plane spiritually, move us to a stronger position where Satan can't access us the way he did before. Move us to a more potent position where we are armored with your armor, Holy Spirit. So we have a helmet of, of salvation. So we've got a breastplate of righteousness. So our feet are shod with the gospel of peace. We, we want to have the, the, our, our belt of truth buckled around our waist. We need to be this, Jesus, and we need the double-edged sword of the Spirit that you put in our hand, your very word, God, so we can access you at any moment, any time, 24-7. And we need each other. Help us, Lord Jesus, to fellowship and build upon this fellowship, this gift you've given us, your Holy Spirit, the Trinity, but each other. The cross goes up and down and the cross goes sidewards, Lord. If you love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, you have encouraged us to do these two things, the utmost importance, these two things. All scriptures hinge on these two things, Jesus, you said. So help us to say, Our Father uh, who art in heaven, hallowed, holy, precious, more important than anything else, be thy name. Would you move in here this morning? Would you move? Shekinah glory, fill this place. Would you move? Yes, in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so it might not be a scripture you're familiar with. It might be if you're someone that, you know, is, is in your Bible a lot or uh, you enjoy the Old Testament. Um, but let's go together to Judges. And where we're going to be is Judges chapter 3. And, I, and before, I, before I get any further, understand there's two major points. 
two major points. Keep them in your mind. You have a double-edged sword. You have a weapon at your disposal to fight the evil one and anything he brings into your life. That's one. You must use it. Two, the gospel creates movement. Just keep those things on lockdown as we go through the word. So one of my favorite sections of scripture, actually, I love it. The story tells itself. It's almost like Ruth. It just tells itself. But then when you access it and see what's really happening, oh my gosh, there's so much depth to this little bit of scripture. So it's, it's Judges chapter 3, and it starts at verse uh, 12, and it's Ehud. Even the name. Who names her kid that? Ehud. <laughs> it sounds like mom was grunting when he got born, and oh, is that what you're calling him? No, 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 Ehud. Okay, it's on the birth certificate. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him, two sworn enemies of Israel, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. Just so you know what that is, that's kind of a rebuild on Jericho. Jericho, they got wiped out years earlier by Joshua and, 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 and the juggernauts that were Joshua and his men just destroyed, just walked over Jericho as the first stop on the X marks the spot promised land and they were the first stop. That was the one that they walked around seven times. That Jericho. It's not rebuilt into a city, but they rebuilt it into like a dwelling place and they call it the city of palms. So it's not Jericho anymore. They're going to rebuild that later to their own chagrin. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Listen, you might get a president you don't like, but he's there for four. This is 18 years. 18 years of something being superimposed on you. You're not, you're not, um, you're not like part of the group that's in charge, but you don't like who's leading. You have a new leader, a different country, and they're imposing their will on you, and you are their slaves. You, are, you have to bring them tribute. You know, for every, every eight pounds of whatever you bring in, t uh, two of them, three of them, four of them goes to him as tribute. Then you live on the rest. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man. The son of Gerah, the Benjamite. A lot of Benjamites were left-handed, and a lot of them were tough. Left-handed guys that could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. There were a lot of them in the scripture. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. Eglon. I after Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and he said, Your Majesty, I've got a secret message for you. And the king said to his attendants, Leave us! And they all left. Yeah. Ehud then approached him and while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace and, and said, I've got a message from God for you. As the king rose from his seat, sensing, uh-oh, this is not good, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. 
Even the handle sank in after the blade. And his bowels discharged. Don't quite know exactly what that means, but it's not pleasant. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. Then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him, and he locked them. And after he'd gone, the servants came. They found the doors of the upper room locked. They said, well, he must be relieving himself, you know, using the bathroom in the inner room of the palace. They waited to the point of embarrassment, but when he didn't open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. And there they saw their Lord fallen to the floor dead. While they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by and keep, put this on lockdown too. We're going to talk about this. He passed by the stone images and escaped to Sarah. These are the stone images of Gilgal. It's very clear. We're going to get back to that. When he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went down and, and with him from the hills, with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into our hands. So they followed him down and took possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab that allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all of them vigorous and strong. Not one escaped. That day Moab was made subject to Israel and the land had peace for 80 years. <sighs> 80 years is a long time of peace. The way this starts, by the way, Judges chapter 3 starts. It just reads a little intro. These are the nations that the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hivites living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal to Hermon to Lebo Hamath, they were left there to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands which he had given their ancestors through Moses. They didn't. They kept falling away from God. And they would do this for a period of 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and then he would just leave them with some ridiculous new overlord that was just merciless. This one happens to be Eglon, the fat king in the city of Jericho. City of Palms. So now let's just go back to the story again. The Israelites, they have been living terribly. They're following the same gods that were in the land before them and forsaking their own god. They have idols everywhere. That's what they're doing wrong. They've, they've forsaken God. They considered it hard to follow him, even though he's the one that brought them to this promised land. They're like, ah, oh, yes, yeah, too, much, too much work doing these sacrifices and things. Let's start just worshiping the idols around us. Let's start being like the people around us. And they start, instead of evangelizing, they start getting evangelized by the world. So that's what's happening. That's going on for years. And then here comes Eglon. Eglon, if you heard, was in charge for 18 years. So Ehud, he's probably not a super old dude. He's a warrior. And he grows up under an Israelite nation that's messed up and not trustworthy. 
Then he comes into being at the mercy of this ridiculous rule of the Amalekites who were not nice people and the Moabites not nice. These are guys that after war's over, they'd have these spiked wheels that they'd run over the battlefield to pick up all the half-dead people to get them off the get them off the field of battle and then bury them somewhere else so it didn't smell or cause diseases. They were not kind people. There was a reason God gave them 450 years and then said, enough. I'm sending in a juggernaut, Joshua and his people, to, to, to clear the land. So Ehud grows up under this. What does that mean? That means that Ehud is used to defending himself. Ehud is used to people not being godly people. He's not used to living amongst people who could betray him. He, I mean, he is used to living among people who could betray him at any moment. So people today, they might have a permit to carry. Ehud had a permit to carry. He had a double-edged sword that was a cubit long. That's from your fingertip to your elbow. Here's where he would store it. You know, on his upper thigh. A double-edged sword on your upper thigh that goes from here to here. Every guy in the room just got what a problem that is. That, that's an issue. He's hiding the sword that is as long as his femur, and it's strapped, it said strapped to his skin underneath his clothes. So you walk like this. Nothing weird here. Nothing, nothing to see. If you're going to strap a double-edged sword to your thigh because you use it to defend yourself, obviously it's accessible. So he's like a, a robe, a toga, you know, a lot of this kind of clothes that you used to wear, just rabbit, and fights on. He didn't make this to kill Eglon with. He made this to defend himself against his own messed up countrymen and the Moabites that now live in the area. He didn't make this for this. The Bible doesn't tell you that he made this to go kill Eglon. When it says that God would give a deliverer, it, what it means is God would chose that one to deliver Israel and then he was going to raise him up. Look, King David gets anointed with oil like, like 17 years before he takes the throne. Once God makes a move, it's permanent. Once God says, it's this leader that I've chosen, that's a move he's made. It's going to happen. But it didn't happen immediately, and a lot of stuff happened in between. So he's 30 before he hits Hebron, and it's more years before he's in charge of all Israel, David. Ehud was being trained early on by God. You're in a messed up group of people that used to follow me, but they don't, and they're dangerous, and they do mean things to each other. Ruth was written in the time of the judges. And everyone, she's told three different times, everyone that meets Ruth says, you better not be in anybody else's field. You could be hurt there. You, someone might do something bad to you there. This is in Bethlehem. Do you understand? The people of God weren't following God. And so Ruth can be injured by the people of God if she chooses the wrong field. This is a bad time. 
And this is one of those pockets where they are not following God, so people are doing bad stuff. So Ehud makes himself and fashions himself a double-edged sword, straps it to his flesh, and learns how to walk with it. Because if you just strap something and it's kind of wonky and too long for where it is and kind of tender, you, you walk like this. Everybody knows you're, everybody knows. I don't know how many times I have hugged somebody because I'm a hugger. You know, <laughs> I'll surprise people sometimes. <laughs> they don't know it's coming. I learned this from my grandfather. You do it enough times, they just come to expect it and they just give in. Just hold, keep holding. If they're squirming, don't, no, you'll, you need this. Trust, trust me, you need it. Okay. Like, uh, that's my mode, that's my thought process. So don't let me get too close if that really bothers you. Um, so um, you have to, if, 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 I don't know how many times I've hugged somebody and I've accidentally bumped a gun that I didn't know was there because they were, they were packing <laughs> and I didn't know. I was like, oh, oh, I wasn't trying to, hey, I'm sorry. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to, you know. That was, that was a hug. I went too low or something. I don't know what. I'm 6'6". Six, six. That shouldn't have been that low of a hug. I don't know what I did. That, so this, I've done that. Like, like, or the strap comes like underneath the clothing here, and I catch it. I'm like, what are you, what are you? Oh, oh, you're packing. So the, the way, reason I didn't know was they walked around in such a way that you wouldn't know. That's the whole point. It's a, it's a secret. Nobody knows it's there. You don't know who security is. This guy doesn't want you to know he's got it. So he had to at home practice and practice and practice with a double-edged sword strapped against his flesh. Practice and practice and practice with a double-edged sword strapped against his flesh. Practice. Walk till it looks normal. Walk till it ah, Walk. Oh, gosh. Okay. That's going to smart later. And just keep walking until you're used to it, until you can move, until you can. Until, but it's there. But you've got it now in the right position. You know, where to, you know where to put it every time. You know how to put it there quickly and get out to war or get out to work. Either way, it's going to be there. But you're going to walk the same way. No one's going to be able to tell the difference that you've got it. There's a reason. You, 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 might need, you might need to go to war at any moment. You might need to defend yourself at any moment. But you don't want the other person to know you've got an advantage. For the people of God, we have a double-edged sword. Actually, would you put that next slide up, if it's there? Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You have that weapon. And it's on your person at all times, especially if you learn to walk with it and strap it to your flesh. Meaning, every time your flesh contradicts the Word, every time you want to do something that the Word tells you not to do, then you bend your gate to the Word. You bend the way you walk to the Word of God, and you walk like that. Every time the Word does not line up with what you like or think it should say, don't try to conduct a message that makes the Word sound like what you want it to be. Let the Word be what it is. Let the word speak. It's God. What have you been? You've been alive for like, even if you've been alive for like 80 years, you think you're going to outthink him? He wrote what he meant to write. He, he wrote what he meant to write. You can trust him. So you strap it to yourself and you learn to walk in the kingdom with the word of God because if you don't, Satan will take you down.
He knows how to do it. If you think you can outthink him, you're also stupid. He's too smart. He's too brilliant. He's been at this for thousands of years. He's been in the kingdom with God and watched how things worked and somehow blew it, but he did and fooled a whole bunch of angels to leave with him. The guy's a genius, but he's an evil, twisted genius. And his plan is to harm the body of Christ first, make you ineffective, unproductive, make you unable to save souls, make you unwilling to share what you have, make you unwilling to engage. And if you can... What a victory for him. If you can't walk correctly with the word of God, everybody spiritually speaking that is walking with him can see that your gate is off. You've got the weapon, but you're using it wrong. Using scriptures out of context. I might have said this here before, but when you take a text out of context, all you've got left is a con. You've just, you take the context, you take the text out, you just got con left. You're just being faked. Don't take some text in the Word and just hover on that and don't line it up with the rest of Scripture. You need to know the whole thing. You need, do you have to need, need to know it all today? No. God knows it all. But you do need to abide in Him. And He will help you access through His Holy Spirit the parts of the Scripture that you need for your walk, for your life, for your daily life for the battle that you're currently in. You don't have to know it all, but you should be learning how to walk. And you should be learning how to walk with it strapped to your flesh because this you need to know. War is coming. Amen. It's here. But I, let me even be more clear. War is coming to you personally even today. There'll be something coming, a war on your thoughts, a war on your heart, a war on your emotions, a war on your psycho, psychological build, a war, a literal war. But it's coming. And you need to learn how to walk with the double-edged sword strapped to your flesh. We're all ready. Listen, the Israelites had other Israelites that were supposed to be like them that weren't. So they had to be on their guard and have that weapon to be able to pull it out and access it. We're in a different time, but the same principle stands. Other people in the body of Christ, other people that are trying to follow God will use Scripture incorrectly. And you have to know it well enough to not let that take you off your game. People in the kingdom will use Scripture to hurt other people, to injure them. Used on purpose. My father always said, if you have a hard word for someone and you want to give it, you're the wrong person. So if you have a word, hey, I got a word for you. Um, sinners never prevail. You're just coming up with something that you're like, oh, this is going to sting. Uh, you know, selfish people, you know, and, and you, just, you throw something out. You're not the one. Pray for that person. Beg God to open up that person's heart and mind. You can tell them honestly how you feel with love. Use the word, but use it right. You have to learn to walk with it. You don't learn to walk with it by listening to me once a week. 
My job is to come tell you what the Holy Spirit put on my heart and he moved me 1,600 miles to do it and I intend to do it with everything that I have. I promise you. I promise you. I will give you everything that God gives me to the best of my ability. I am pretty transparent. I'll tell you that in just a second. I'll give you another example of how transparent I am. Uh, but the, our king, our king is in charge. We're all here just worshiping him together. We're all here to worship him. But if there's a movement going on, we want to be a part of it, don't we? I want to be a part of it. I want to see what he's doing. Okay, back to this. So Ehud had a double-edged sword. It's a cubit long. He straps it to, to his right thigh under his clothing. And he presents tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. After Ehud presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who carried it. You know what this tells me? It wasn't in his head to do what he's about to do. He just sent away all his help. It's not in Ehud's head. He hasn't been sent here to kill Moab. He's been sent here, the scripture tells us, with tribute. They've sent him with a tribute. But boy, did they pick the right guy. They sent the guy with a double-edged sword, the one who really knows it well. That's who they sent. And they picked the right guy for the job. But they said they're sending tribute. We're sending tribute. It's not a trick. It's, it's not a game. They weren't trying to fake out these Moabites. There's, the scripture tells us there were still 10,000 of them local that were vigorous and strong. And these are the guys who have been defeating them for almost 20 years, 18 years straight. They, they, they know they can't stand against them. So they're not going to send, a, a, you know, send someone to the hornet's nest and just start batting the hornet's nest with, 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 you know, with a hammer or a double-edged sword. They weren't sending him in there to kill Eglon. They're sending him with tribute so that they keep Eglon off their back. And then Ehud sends all his men away. He's going home. And he passes the stone images of Gilgal. That's where he is. He's at the stone images of Gilgal. That's what he passes. And he turns around. And he goes back to kill the king. Do you know what those are? The stone images of Gilgal is in Judges chapter 3 when Joshua is getting ready to enter the promised land for the first time. And they're camped on one side of the Jordan. Jericho's on the other side of the Jordan. Jericho sees them coming. Everyone's hearts are melting in fear. They send in spies. Rahab says, everyone's terrified of you guys. Everyone's terrified. I'll hide you. Just protect me and my family. They, they go back. They explain it. They do stick to their word. They protect Rahab and her family. And they, and they walk around blowing trumpets. They're stepping around blowing trumpets. Listen to what they're doing. They're stepping around Jericho. What did God tell Abraham to do? He said, everywhere you step your foot will be yours. When you go into the promised land, everywhere that you put your foot that you put your footprint, Abraham, that's going to be the promised land. So start walking across it. I'm even going to make you walk across it. Your life is going to make you walk across it. Oh, the well dried up. Move. Oh, oh, you know, there's a famine in the land. Move. I'm going to, I'm going to pinpoint where I want you to be so that you walk all over Canaan because that's the land I'm going to give you. You're going to walk on it, and I'm going to give it to you. And those footprints that you make, those are eternal. I'm taking that land. But like I always do, I'm using my people. So they walk around Jericho. But before they do, they've got to cross the Jordan River at flood stage. At flood stage. I mean, I can just see the Kennebec at flood stage. 
If there's no bridge anywhere, that's going to be a slow pass for an army of two million people. That's going to be a slow pass. So they go, you know, what do we do? Oh, it's okay. I'm going to just stop it. Way up by Adam, a city called Adam, like 130 miles away. The water will just pile up. Well, that's cool. Could you do it closer so we can watch that happen? <laughs> you know, maybe we can see that from here. But he's going to stop the water. All of this is going to dry up, and they're just going to walk across. And he does. And he says, hey, as soon as, as soon as the priest touched the water, boop, it stops, it piles up, and they walk across on dry land. Which tells you, by the way, I had to buy 10 plywood boards, which I'm not even going to tell you how expensive that was. It was $340. I had to buy 10 plywood boards to just make a walkway across my yard to get Adea, my daughter in the wheelchair, to the house. Because where I park is across my yard, and then I go in the house. I couldn't get there. The little walkway was all mud. It's glop, 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 glop. You couldn't make it. So I, over all that quicksand, I put 10 boards. So we could walk to the house and walk back and walk to the house. Awesome. We can do that now. And they're still there. Crazy things are still... I guess it was worth it. So I got this like poor man's walkway <laughs> to the house. But the, it's still mud. Aren't we in spring? Like it's May something. It's May 1st. Okay, I'll give you that. It's only May 1st. But it's still mud. When does this stop? When can I stop sailing in on plywood boards to my house? Wait, come on, Adea, get on the last good one. I'm going to use this stick, and we're going to pull our way to the house. When does, when does it finish? So if these guys walked over on dry land, you know what that means? God, when he speaks something, he says you're going to walk over on dry land, he's so amazing in the way that he does stuff that when he speaks a word, it's complete. He didn't leave drops all in the dirt. They didn't, walk, they didn't trudge across in mud. It said they walked on dry land, but they just watched it happen. So why is it not mud on a raging river? Because when God speaks, he's complete. He does what he wants to do. When he heals someone, he sucks out everything. A, um, <laughs> oh, my Lord, I have not had enough sleep. And I'll tell you why in just a second, I promise. It's not a pretty story. Uh, so uh, Lazarus, gosh, <laughs> Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, come back to life. It's, it's four days. The guy's rotting. He stinks. Something killed him to begin with. He doesn't come back to life with whatever the sickness was that killed him. He comes back and everything's resurrected. He comes back and his skin is healthy. His body's healthy. His mind is clear. He comes out. He works his way out of the thing all by himself. He gets out of grave clothes. They've perfumed this guy. They've, they've, they've done stuff to him. It doesn't matter. God spoke something and everything fixes. He does that in our lives all the time. He speaks something, and you think that the problem's too deep. It's got too many tendrils. It, 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 it's too much of an issue. It can't be fixed. And he speaks one thing, and he can just change everything. So he speaks water. Get out of my way. All of it. I don't want them having muddy sandals. Amen. And they walk over on dry land. Now, here's the most amazing thing. They, they, ahead of time, God tells Joshua, I need 12 stones. Oh, where do you want them? From the raging river, the center. How am I going to get those? I'll show you. So, bloop, he stops it. All the people go across. 
priests are still in the center going, how long are we going to stand out here? <laughs> you know, if that thing, the dam will hold, right? And they just stand there waiting, waiting. You know, the more this holds, the, the bigger that wall of water gets. And they just stand there, probably from Adam can see it now. And so they just stand there. And, and now you've got all the people across. And Joshua says, now I've, I've picked 12 of you, one from each tribe. Go grab one of those rocks that was right in the center of that raging river and take it to the other side. Okay. So they walk out. Everybody grabs a rock and they bring it out and they put it on the side of the river and they, and they stack them up. Well, there is no river. When it will come back, there'll be a river. And they stack them up. And he says to the people, when your children ask you what this monument means, what the stones of Gilgal mean, it was that God had given us the promised land even though there were adversaries, seven nations stronger than us here. God has still given us this land. And everywhere we walk, everywhere our ancestors walked, is ours. So those rocks, what they mean, chunk, 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 those, what those rocks mean, what those 12 rocks mean, it means God put us here. So don't let anybody take it back. That's to mark our territory because it's God's territory. But it's more than that. It's God being faithful and promising something and following it through. And when God does that and he speaks something in your life and he says something and he rectifies something, he makes it better, you look back and you make a stone of Gilgal. Make a stone of Gilgal. I have, I have, I have a diary that I'm keeping called Stones of Gilgal. It's what got me here. Every time God spoke something to me, I put that in there. Every time God validated what he spoke to me, I put it in there. Every time God said anything to me or revealed something to me or through God's people revealed something to me, I put it in there, write it all down, explained everything, put it in the stones of Gilgal. These are the things. And when things got hairy or weird or I was confused or I didn't understand why I was doing what I was doing, then I just read them again and all of that invigorating power from the Holy Spirit came back on me because it reminded me those are stones of Gilgal. That's what I did. That's also what I did. That's what I did. Pile them up. Look how many there are. I took these rocks out of flood stage. They had no chance of getting out of here. Gravity itself would have kept them there. But then you pour a whole giant flood level river over the top of it. It's not coming out. You'll never be out. They've been there for a thousand years. They'll be there for a thousand years. But poof, take them out. And by the way, when a Christian meets someone who does not know Christ and starts sharing him with him, and they start to, they are a dead rock on the flood stage. And what God's people do is they come across this area and God stops the flood and he says, pull that one out. Stops the flood and says, pull that one out. I can't get that one, God. They're under a flood. They're under a flood of, of just sin and trouble and addiction. Now pull them out. Get that. Get 12 of them. Get them out of there. Stop it. Stop the river. Pull them out. My, my people are passing by. My people are passing by. Get a couple of them. Pull them out of there. That's who we're called to be. Pull the stones out. And then they are living stones. We are being built as living stones to honor our king. We are living stones. Stones of Gilgal. That's who you are. So... Knowing that, Ehud is going home. The tribute's been delivered. 
I was a guy, sent all my people away, follows him, he sees the stones of Gilgal. And all that Holy Spirit moment comes on him and says, go back. Are you just going to take this? Are you just going to take this? I have given you a double-edged sword. You're going to let this fat king sit in your promised land and take everything that was yours? No way. Take that double-edged sword, go back there, tell him this is from God, and stick it in him. And all the way in. Don't stick it in halfway and pull it out. Don't dab at it. Whoop! Let the hilt of the thing go right in him. Don't pull it out. Leave the sword in there. You know, we're so bad at this. We just poke at something like a fork, like you're just dawdling around like a little kid that doesn't want to eat his meal. Stick it in there. If you have addiction in your life, and it's crushing you, and it's taking everything that you own, that's Eglon. You take the Word of God and stick it in there that tells you that Jesus gave you power to defeat this. You stick it in there. And you leave it in there. Don't pull it back out and give him a chance to get to his feet. Stick it in. Leave it in. Every time it starts to get to his feet, go kick it. Kick it back in him deeper. Let it come out the other side. Keep saying the same things over and over that God gave you to, that was a stone of Gilgal to you. Rehearse it. Know it. Strap it to your flesh. And walk with it. And learn to walk with it. You might be sitting out there today just really troubled with something. Look in the Word. Now, this is how easy it is. It's easy, but we don't do it. And I mean we. I'm halfway home from Florida. I wasn't here last week because I was visiting my brand-new grandson that was just born, five weeks old now, six weeks, six weeks old now. You might be watching online. <laughs> Where... Off to a late start, because right before we left, my grandson starts being unresponsive. They prick his heel. He doesn't even respond. I mean, they run him to the emergency room. They prick his heel, put him on the cold thing to weigh him. He's not responding. Like, normally, you just pass this child to another person. He's going to start crying. He's brand new. If he's not with mom, he's crying. Doctors handle him. He doesn't know them. He's not responsive. He's awake. He's not responding. Super lethargic. And I'm, I'm changing a day, my phone goes, and all my kids are calling to say goodbye. You know, we've had this amazing week. My grown kids and grandkids. Oh, yeah, we love you. See you, see you, see you and Grammy. Dude on Grammy. That's who we are. So I think, you know, we're doing this. And so I think, I think my son's just telling me that. So I just, I pause it. I'm finishing this. And then Becky, my wife, she goes, ah, Jake just called me too. Our son, our grown son. I'm like, oh, okay, well, let me just. Hey, and he's in a panic. He's on his way to the hospital with his brand new son, his second son, and he's not responding. So we rush down, you know, and we can't even go in or anything, but we're just praying the whole way. And I'm asking people here to pray. By the way, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I know people were praying. Thank you. Whatever was going on, whatever happened by almost noon or one, noon, he was coming around. By one, he was totally fine. And like, just like the, all the water's gone right down to the drops, whatever it was is gone. They've run a bunch of vitals. They can't find anything. He doesn't even have, he doesn't even have a virus. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's our God. 
Because I was looking at it going, oh, it's just a little disconcerting. Um, we didn't find out what it was. And I was like, no. And I felt like God quickly, <laughs> do you want something to still be there? I t- it's gone. I did this. And I was like, oh, right, sorry, sorry. Yeah, right, we were praying all morning, duh. So, you know, I mean, yeah, he did it. But now it's noon, and we're leaving. We meant to leave early because we're driving home. And so I get to, like, North Carolina, Rocky Mountain. I can't get any further. I'm just exhausted. Like, honey, we got to stop. And we, so we stop. My children think a hotel room is a playground. I don't know why. They, like, it lights them up. It's like stones of Gilgal to them. Oh, those! <laughs> I mean, they're just going. That's on a couch, by the way. They're just everywhere throwing stuff off the television. I'm just like, what? Why, guys? It's 11 o'clock. Go to sleep. We, I like, and I, and I stupidly, I get to the little thing, the little, I'm, I'm getting the room. I said, listen, I got, I got uh, five of us coming in, you know, three kids, my wife and I, I can barely even think. He's like, oh, two rooms, I'll set you all up. I got there's two foals. I'm six foot six, just me. But I can make this work. Gianna can't. She cannot. She's overtired. And overtired in her world equates with unbelievably selfish. I love her. I adore her. Don't get me wrong. She's precious to me. But I did want to kill her. I was completely exhausted. I can't even think. I know I have to do this again tomorrow. We haven't gotten nearly far enough, so tomorrow is going to be about 2 a.m. at best that we arrive. I'm doing the math. I know I'm already in big trouble, and this child won't sleep. She's kicking Abram next to her. Give me room. Give me room. I'm like, you're like this. You're like a you're, you're a little beam pole. I could put you in the corner of this bed, and all this room would be left. Just go to bed. No, no, he's kicking me. You're kicking him. No. It just keeps going. Adea's not happy. She's in the, we've got her in this nice spot with all these pillows and everything, but she's just not happy. Wakes up every half an hour on the hour all night long like a town crier. But I have to pick her up because we're in a hotel, so other people are hearing the crier. She's screaming. Adea won't have it. Finally, I, pull, I, I, I just grab Adea, I mean uh, Gianna, like a raccoon, this rabid throw her on this bed with my wife. I go lie with my son, try to get back to sleep. She starts kicking Becky. Yeah, you're taking up too much space. That's just like. (laughs) The next part of what happened, you'll never see. I won't put it on the videos. It wasn't one of my slides for today. But I wasn't kind. And I'm lying there seething at 4 a.m., having not slept at all. And I'm just, like, shaking. And I felt like God said to me, and I was like, God, just, just hit me with a hammer. <laughs> a hammer from heaven. I just need to fall asleep. I'm wound. And in his grace, he doesn't. But he kind of does. He goes, speaks right to my heart. I'm just lying there. <laughs> and, and, and I'm lying there and he says, 
Isn't it frustrating when your child that you give everything to acts this selfish? I was like, what did I do? <laughs> what, did I, what did I do now? Well, you know, I, I put you in the exact house you wanted. I got you in, a, in, in, in this pastor role that you absolutely love in a church that you love. I've continued to bless you over and over and over, and you just wound up for this one night of you know, sleep. That, that's going to ruin everything. I don't like it when, like, because I just said to John, one of the nicer things I said was, so are those new Adidas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that a new jumpsuit you're wearing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then shut up and go to bed. <laughs> You've been given so much. And are you, in a, are you in a real nice hotel room? Yeah, yeah. Not sleeping on the, on the bench that you were crying about for the last four hours in the back of the van? Then go to sleep. What's the issue? And so I wasn't nice. Next morning I get up. That was an hour and a half later. <laughs> and I said, Jonna, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to share something with you. So listen, please. Here's, here's the issue. You were being incredibly selfish last night. You were even kicking mom and not letting her sleep on the bed. So everything you did was keep the whole family up. We all have to drive, and you knew I was tired to begin with. Now I, have, now I feel like I'm at the end, and I'm just starting a whole new day, and it's going to be late when we arrive. So that wasn't nice. But I also need to apologize because my attitude was terrible, um, and I was overtired, and that's when I'm at my worst. So here's what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look up scriptures on selfishness, and you're going to read them because you are worse than me. <laughs> so I do. And she reads one after another after another, and by about the third one, I'm not kidding. This is a kid that's pretty tough. It's pretty hard to make. It's pretty hard to get through that exterior. And tears are coming down both sides. They're coming down both sides. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's like, honey, you, you see? Now, I'm sorry, too. I'm sorry, too. I was wrong, too. But what you wouldn't know is that because of her background, because of things that she had to live through before she came to us, she's got some detachment things going on. They can be very frustrating because she doesn't understand how to love the same way she would had she just been kind of raised up in there. So it's, it's a lot of new ground for her. It's been years, but that, that, those formative years are tough to overcome. So this was a ginormous groundbreaking moment for her to legitimately not go, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Is that what you want? No, it was tears. I'm sorry because I've got a double-edged sword and I wasn't using it. I could have had a full night's sleep. But I wasn't using it. It's strapped to my flesh. I know that word. It's strapped to my flesh so that even as I'm are you being selfish? Oh, apparently. And God just, and then I went to sleep. Our God cares about the most minute portions of your life. 
but he also cares much more about the big stuff. And I was reacting poorly, and that's not okay. My daughter needed to learn a lesson. I stuck the word of God in tears. And it wasn't like I was jabbing her with a word. I was jabbing it in Satan who put so much chaos in her life early on that it makes it hard for her to love and, and, and receive love. That's what I was plugging the sword into, kicking the sword into, allowing it to stay in. Don't pull it back out. Keep it in. We read some more together. We prayed together, and we had an unbelievable second day, and my hero of a wife finished the trip from Connecticut on. <laughs> Yeah. 3 a.m., we arrived home. It was, we were tired. <laughs> God's grace. I got one more thing to tell you, though. Last thing, and I know we're on time, but Ehud kills the king, sticks it in, locks the doors, gives him enough time to get away while they're debating whether he's going to the bathroom. He comes off this balcony, runs away, and on his way home, he passes the stones of Gilgal where God spoke to him, go back and kill that king. Don't let him take what I gave you. Don't let it. It's happened too long. So he sees him again. It says when he reached the stones of Gilgal, he pulls out a trumpet and he blows it. And all of the Israelites who've been cowering for 18 years come rushing out. The only person he's killed is the king, and the king's not going to come out to battle. He's only killed one. Why the sudden, obvious movement of the people of God? What happened? Their enemy's still there. There were still 10,000 of them vigorous and ready for battle. The same ones that have been wiping them out are still there. Why did they come racing from everywhere when the adversary is still in the room? Because the stones of Gilgal reminded everyone, this is your land. I gave this to you. I promised it to you. Blow the trumpet. Because when one person feels affected by what God's doing and shares it with the people of God. They recognize it, and it then starts the electricity. That's what happens. It then starts the spiritual serotonin, and, oh, I broke off his antenna. <laughs> we'll glue that on later. He's still powerful. Amen. He's still powerful. Be like Magneto or the other guy in the chair. Listen, we are a movement that God is sweeping through with his Holy Spirit. And if we want to affect the people in our families, the people in our neighborhood, the people in whatever city you're coming from to get here, the people that are our literal neighbors of this church and of our homes, we must get a hold of the double-edged sword, strap it to our flesh, and trust that God is going to create movement. You might not see it at first. Wait like Elijah on the hill for that cloud. Just wait. Wait. The rain's coming. 
wait, we're in a new season. Wait, it's springtime. It's the time of new life. You won't have to wait that long. God's moving. Do we have a, long, a song at the end? Let's do one. Because I loved that earlier. And worship is a weapon, and let's stick it in the enemy and worship him one more time. Then we'll go and do it wherever you're coming from. Amen? Oh, while they're coming up, don't close your eyes as you go up the stairs. It's dangerous. But the rest of us are going to pray. Lord Jesus, coming in, coming out to your most holy place. We just want to worship you, praise you, thank you. You're gracious. You're good. You're loving. You've given us this beautiful day. Help us to enjoy it. Help us to even be thankful walking out of here. Just thankful. A blue sky, sunny main spring day. That's a gift. We love you, Lord God. We love you. We should be a people that knows joy. Help us to be that. Help us to be a people that exudes that. We want to be a movement. We love you and we praise you and let your word land in power. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.